you have your Bibles, do you want to turn with me? I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. As you're turning to that, let me just say you've been looking on Sunday mornings at encounters with Jesus. I want to talk to you for a little while this morning about encountering Jesus in this communion table. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room with a lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. And this was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. And this Ark contained the gold jar of manna, and Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. And above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings external regulations applying until the time of the new order. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean. Sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, 
cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is still living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and he sprinkled the scroll and all the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood that is not his own then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews is written to people who have committed their lives to following Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. They have accepted that he was the Messiah. They have turned to follow him. But as time has gone on, expecting his return and being disappointed, they start to wonder, have they made the right decision? And their friends, their family, those who remain committed to Judaism who haven't turned to Jesus begin to challenge them. You followed a false Messiah. You're following a false hope. You need to turn back to Judaism. And the writer writes to those people to explain that Christ is a far better hope than Judaism ever offered, that he is greater than the angels, that he is greater than Moses, that he is a greater high priest than Aaron. The writer explains that the sacrifice that Christ offers is so much greater than the sacrifices they had offered week in, week out, year in, year out at the tabernacle. And in chapter 9, the writer 
wants to explain how much more significant the blood of Jesus is than the blood that they offered time and again. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul says these words in chapter 10. He says, is not our participation in the cup of thanksgiving a participation in the blood of Jesus Christ? Is not our participation in the cup of thanksgiving a participation in the blood of Jesus Christ? When we take this cup this morning, we are participating in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's in that sense that I want to speak to you about encountering Christ in this cup of thanksgiving this morning. The writer to the Hebrews explains the various aspects of the tabernacle. There was an outer courtyard, and the outer courtyard had an altar for the sacrifice of the burnt offerings, and it had a huge basin. There was a lot of blood involved in the sacrifice. It was messy out there. And before the priest could go into the first room, they needed to cleanse themselves. When they went in to the first room, there were some things there that were where the priest offered their normal everyday work. There was a lampstand with seven branches. There was an altar of incense, and there was a table of consecrated bread. The lampstand was lit continually and had to be kept continually lit because it offered the only light that was available to them in that holy place. The altar of incense was continually attended, representing the priest's intercession on behalf of the people. And the table with the consecrated bread, there were 12 loaves representing each of the tribes of Israel, representing the fact that they all had a part in this fellowship. Stayed there for a week after a week. They were taken by the priests and only the priests could eat that bread and then the bread was replaced. In the second room of the tabernacle, the most holy place. The only person who could go in there was the high priest and then only once a year. He took with him the golden censer and he had to go with blood. Everything needed to be sprinkled with blood. In there was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark had inside it the stone tablets 
of the law. It had a little golden pot with manna that God had supplied to Israel daily, supernaturally. And it had Aaron's rod that budded. And the writer mentions those things and he says, we haven't got time to discuss the detail of them now. Because he wants to talk to you about the sacrifice of Christ. So I say this quickly and in passing. Every part of the tabernacle was a type of Christ. It spoke of Christ. It spoke of his work. It spoke of what he was doing. The tabernacle itself, the dwelling of God with people, Christ came. And we have the words, now the tabernacle of God is with men. He came and he tabernacled among us, John says. He is the expression of God's presence with us. It is Christ in us who is the hope of glory. And the altar of burnt offering where the animals were sacrificed pointed to the fact that one day there would be a place of sacrifice where God would lay down the greatest sacrifice of all when the Lamb of God would be given for the sins of the world. The basin where the priest would wash and clean himself before entering the holy place where you come to for cleansing. There is only one place we can come to for cleansing. We come to Christ. It's in Him we find that our sins are cleansed. He's the one who has made us clean. You go through into that next place and we know that He is the light of the world. That's why John says, above everything else, God is light. He's the one that gives us illumination which shows us what life is about, what our purpose is, what we're living for. An altar of incense representing one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high and right now he's interceding for you. Christ's continued ministry. He had finished his work on earth but he ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high and he ever lives to make intercession for you. He's always speaking to Father on your behalf. The table of consecrated bread. He is the living bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We feed on Christ by faith in our hearts. That's our purpose, to do that, to be in communion with him. And in that ark, the ark itself, made of acacia wood, and overlaid with gold, spoke of the, the divinity and the humanity of Christ. The acacia wood that rose in the desert, yet covered with pure gold. And in it, the pot of manna, 
representing the life-giving faithfulness of God who day after day after day faithfully supplied the need of Israel supernaturally. That represents to us Christ who supplies every need you have day after day after day. Not just temporal need. It's in you, you, him you live and move and have your being. The stone tablets of the law. Christ is our law. He is our word. We do what he says. That's our purpose. Aaron's rod that budded. There was a time in Israel's history Some men rose up against Aaron's leadership. They were led by Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They reckoned they could do just as good a job of leadership. There was 250 with them. Why should Aaron be the man? They were consumed with fire. But God says, listen, I want to settle this with you once and for all. I want you to get a staff from the leader of every tribe in Israel. For Levi, it will be Aaron's staff, Aaron's rod. What's a rod? It's a stick cut off a tree. It's a dead stick. That's essentially what it is. Each leader was told to lay their rod on the ground that night. Dead sticks lying on the ground, but one of those dead sticks found that life came into it. It budded, it blossomed, it grew flowers. Aaron's rod, God demonstrating he could bring life into a lifeless thing. Why? Because when his son was in the tomb and life gone from his body, he was going to demonstrate that he has the power of life and death and that he can breathe life into the dead and bring that which is dead to life again. It all spoke of Christ. But what the writer is writing to tell us about all of that is that in order for any of it to make, to be made use of day by day, it had to be sprinkled with blood. And what the writer says, even when it was sprinkled with blood, it couldn't cleanse anybody's conscience. It made them ceremonially clean. It made them clean in terms of the law. It allowed them to interact in society. It allowed them to take part in feasts and festivals. But it didn't deal with the heart. It didn't deal with their conscience. But he says the blood of Jesus, that wasn't in a man-made tabernacle. The blood of Jesus was applied, not on earth. It was applied in heaven. He entered into a tabernacle that is not man-made. He entered into an eternal place to apply his blood on your behalf. And so when we take this cup of thanksgiving this morning, we're participating in the blood of Jesus. I say it again, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation 
in the blood of Christ. When we break bread this morning, we're taking a cup of thanksgiving. That's how it's described in the Scripture. Not a cup of sorrow, not a cup of woe, not a cup of mourning. It's a cup of thanksgiving. Because in this cup, I am demonstrating. I am reminding myself. I'm encountering Christ in this communion. I'm participating in His blood I'm reminding him myself, first of all, I am redeemed. I have been bought out of a hand of the enemy by his blood. In him, Ephesians 1, 7 says, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins through his blood. Peter describes it in this way. He says, you know, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus. I used to be owned by an enemy under the power of Satan, but by his blood, Jesus bought me out of the hand of the enemy. When I take this cup of thanksgiving this morning, I'm going to remind myself I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. I belong to Jesus. That means so much that I haven't time to go through with you. But if you belong to Jesus this morning, if anybody wants to come to you, they have to go through him. If anybody wants to touch you, they have to go through him. It's a cup that reminds me not only that I am redeemed, but I'm justified. We've been singing it already. You call me justified. Romans 5 and verse 9 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? This morning, when I take this cup, I'm reminding myself I'm not just forgiven. I have been justified. It doesn't simply mean I've been pardoned. I've been more than pardoned. To be justified means to be declared righteous. I was a miserable sinner. But this morning when I take this cup, I am reminding myself I am not in God's sight a miserable sinner. I'm righteous. I'm justified. Because I am participating in the blood of Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ has been given to me. It's been given to you. This morning when we take this cup, we are to remind ourselves who we are in Christ and that we're righteous in Him. When I take this cup this morning, I'm reminding myself I've been brought near to God. Ephesians 2 and verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Me and God are not at a distance.
It's better than that. This is how it's expressed in Hebrews. In Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 22, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that is opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. It might be this morning that you're not near. It might be this morning you have allowed yourself to become distant from him. Because of his blood, you have a right to draw near. There's nothing to keep you separate. His blood has done everything necessary to bring you close. And if you're staying away because you feel guilty, can I urge you, the point of this table this morning is to encounter him and draw near. He's not going to chastise you. His arms are open and he's going to embrace you. He's going to lavish his love on you. He's going to minister grace to you. He's going to strengthen you and uphold you by his righteous right hand. This blood is a participation, this cup is a participation in the blood of Christ that invites me to draw near. This morning I'm reminding myself as I take this cup, I am sanctified. Hebrews 10 and verse 29, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has The blood of the covenant that sanctified. It goes on to speak about something else, but we are sanctified by the blood of his covenant. The next chapter of Hebrews, in verse 14 of chapter 10, it tells me, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We are sanctified. This morning as I take this cup of thanksgiving, I'm reminding myself I am at peace with God. Me and God are not enemies today. Me and God are not at war. Colossians 1 and verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace with his blood through the cross. The writer wants to say to the Hebrews, all of that blood, week in, week out, day after day, year in, year out at the Day of Atonement, couldn't cleanse a conscience 
this morning as I take the cup of thanksgiving, I'm reminded that my conscience is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Not because everything about me is good, but because of his blood. Hebrews 9 and verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences. It purifies you from sin. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from sin. It has freed me from sin. Revelation 1 and verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood. If you're sitting here this morning telling yourself, it's not possible for me to stand against my sin, I want you to take this cup this morning with a conviction, participating in the blood of Christ. He gave me power to be free from my sin. There isn't any temptation that will come to me that isn't common to man. And there is no temptation that will come to me that I will not be able to endure. And in, the, in every temptation that comes, he is able to provide a way out so that I can escape from it. There isn't a sin you're facing you're not able for. It's a lie of the enemy. And some of you have bought into that lie. Some of you have believed it's not possible for you to stand up against a particular besetting sin in your life. This table this morning is not about commiserating with us for our sin. This is about a celebration of the fact that the power of sin is broken in my life. By His blood, He freed me from my sin. Sin no longer has dominion over me. If you don't want it to have, it needn't have. What do you have to do? You need to look to Him. In every temptation you face, He will provide a way of escape so that you can come out from under it. There is no temptation that is beyond your ability to endure. Some of you this morning need to hear that, need to stop believing the lie of the enemy that you're bound to sin in a particular area of your life. You just can't help it. And some of you this morning, because of that, think, I'm just going to let this cup pass by. Please, please, please do not let this cup pass by. The purpose of our coming is not to let this cup pass by. The purpose of our coming is to remind ourselves what the power of God in Christ has done for us because of the blood. And because He has done it, we're able, we're able to stand it has given me authority to overcome the accuser. The accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The accuser has all sorts of things to say to you this morning. That's why week after week after week we come to this table. We don't do it because we need to fill some time. 
We come to this table because week after week after week, there's an accuser that is lying to you about your position. There's an accuser that's lying to you about who you are. There's an accuser that's lying to you about how well you're doing in the faith. And we come to this table to take a cup of thanksgiving that is a participation in the blood of Jesus. What does that participation mean? It means I'm bought out of the hand of the enemy. I have been made righteous. I am sanctified. I am purified from my sins. It means that I have peace with God. My conscience is cleansed by his blood. I am freed from the power of sin. I have authority to come to overcome the accuser. Finally, Stuart and the team come to lead us in worship as we prepare our hearts to break bread. Let me just say this to you. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to plead it. It pleads for you. This is the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In Genesis, it talks about the blood of Abel crying out from the ground. And the blood of Abel that cried out from the ground after he'd been murdered by his brother Cain was crying for justice. Abel had been brutally murdered. His blood cried for justice. The scripture tells us this blood speaks a better word to us. The blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Why? It cries to God, justice has been fulfilled. Sin has been punished. The blood speaks for you. Christ is at the right hand of his Father now, interceding for you. He has sprinkled the blood. You don't need to apply it. You don't need to sprinkle it. You don't need to do a thing with it. This morning, our invitation to you is, will you come and encounter Christ by participating in his blood in this cup of thanksgiving? Will you take it and celebrate every good thing he has done and all that it means for you? Stand with us as we worship.